see all the work that goes into this thing. Um, and I, I want to give a shout out to, to Chris, who put a lot of the worship part of this together. Um, he put a lot of time into that. And Steve McMillan has taken care of a lot of our technical issues. And you can see we're not polished. We're not a, this is not a televangelist church. We don't normally do this. Um, so when there are uh, problems and, and snafus, just, just take that as we're, we're just real folks. And uh, we're not skilled at, at uh, broadcasting. We're not skilled at, at being in front of cameras. But we are here because we feel a burden, a need that, that right now people need the Lord. And right now people need to worship. And so that's what we're here for. Um, thank you for joining us. We're glad that you're here. Um, hopefully uh, we will be able to be together physically soon. Um, we don't have any knowledge of what that's going to look like. I can tell you that our leadership is going to meet again this week, and we should uh, have a, a ruling on what we're going to do for the next few weeks going forward soon. So be checking your email, be checking the, the Facebook page and those kind of things, and we'll try to get that information out to you as soon as it's available. Um, but, you know, we've, we're all experiencing new things. I talked to a lot of people this week, and as I was talking to people, you get a lot of different uh, terms of feedback. Um, one of the things that I got a lot was people, uh, they didn't necessarily uh, have all the elements of communion. Um, if you don't have that, if you're at home, whether you're a member of this church or not, we're going to have some of those in the outside the, the west door of our building. You can just drive through and pick them up. I don't care who you are. doesn't matter. We're not going to card you. We're not going to ask you the Secret Church of Christ handshake. You can get those and, and take those, do that at home. Um, because I was talking to people this week. I was talking to one couple and... And she said, yeah, we, you know, we didn't have elements, so, so he got out some crackers and some wine, and then the, the, the phone gets real quiet, and she goes, oh, he told me I'm not supposed to tell the preacher we had wine. So we got, and, and she went on, and it was really funny. Somebody else was telling me they, they, were trying, they were glad that we had prayer leaders because they didn't have grape juice. They had grape Kool-Aid, and he didn't know how to pray for that because he normally prays for the fruit of the vine, and Nobody's really sure where Kool-Aid comes from. So he, he was thankful that somebody else led the prayer. I talked to a lot of people, and, and one of the things that happens when you're talking to people, when they find out you're a minister, well, first there's that weird, awkward silence where they're like, do I want to talk to this guy or not? But, but then they inevitably start sharing with you spiritual stuff. Um, generally, their, their baggage. Um, I was talking to one young man not long ago, and he said, I became a Christian about a year ago, and, and I've been going to church, and I've been reading my Bible, and, and I feel like, I, as a Christian, I, I'm on the outside looking in. I feel like there's a party going on somewhere, and I'm not part of it. Unfortunately, that feeling's kind of common. Uh, E.M. Forster, as he was the, the English novelist, wrote, Christianity has shirked the inclusion of merriment. What he means is that we're not renowned for our ability to party. And that's okay. There was a Sunday school teacher once who was talking to her children as, as they were getting ready to be dismissed and go out to the church service. And she said, now remember kids, why are we, why are we quiet in the church building? And one little girl said, because people are sleeping. That, that's kind of true, but that, that's, that's more to it. Well... 
One Sunday morning, a preacher was out in the foyer, and he was, uh, noticed a young man who was staring at the wall. A little boy about, about seven or eight years old, and this kid's staring at the wall. And he, The preacher walks over, stands behind him, and he's looking at the wall. And on the wall, there is this plaque that was placed there by, by some of the church members, and it has names and dates on it. And the little boy's staring at this plaque. And the preacher says, good morning, Alex. Alex looks around at him, and he says, preacher what's that and he says well that is a memorial to the brave men and women who died in the service the little boy is very quiet he says was that morning or evening unfortunately that's our idea of of a party as far as church goes that that people are sleeping but our church really should be more like a damasenko Adamasenko, if you remember a few years back, there was an Ebola crisis, and it was particularly worse in, in Africa and, and in Sierra Leone in particular. And Adamasenko was the last Ebola patient who was released from medical care in Sierra Leone. Now, this didn't happen until almost two years ago. That's how long, I mean, we're going back to, to way back in, in 2006, 2008 when this started. So, think she's been in medical care for a long time and as she is released reportedly there was a crowd of people outside the hospital and they were singing and they were dancing and they were clapping even the nation's president was part of that throng singing and dancing and clapping there was a celebration because victory demands a celebration you think about any sporting event that you've ever watched when, when, when the victorious team goes to the locker room, there is a celebration. There's champagne spewing. There's Gatorade being poured on coaches. Victory demands a celebration. But somehow the church has missed the party. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke 15. Luke 15 is where we're at. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke in this series, looking at Luke's use of the table. Because in Luke, Jesus is either at a meal, coming from a meal, or on his way to a meal. And, and that is important. The Holy Spirit chose to put those tables in Luke for a reason. And truthfully, Luke shows more and more Jesus getting in trouble at the table because of his table fellowship, because of who he invites to his table. This week's table is a table of feasting that's in a parable that Jesus is telling. Luke 15, it begins with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law once again criticizing Jesus for his table fellowship. If you have your Bibles, Luke 15, I'm going to read it. You can read along with me. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner 
who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And this is one of those stories that even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not familiar with church, you've heard. You know the story of the prodigal son. We've heard this and heard this and heard this, and, and somehow we've become so familiar with it that we miss some of the point uh, of this story. All my life, I've been told that Luke 15 is about loss. It's about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And, and while there is a lost son in this passage, we're going to come back to that in a minute, I think Luke 15 is more about finding. It's about finding a sheep. It's about finding a coin. And it's about finding a son. Now, there's a big difference between losing and finding. See, the sheep wanders away. The coin falls into a crack. The son walks away. None of those are the fault of the owner. The shepherd wasn't negligent as far as Jesus' story in taking care of his sheep. The woman wasn't reckless in her care of her coins. The father wasn't unloving to his son. In fact, you can make the case that the father may have been too loving of his son from the beginning see in that society an older brother the firstborn would have gotten all the blessing an older brother would have gotten a double portion of any kind of inheritance that came and if there were younger siblings they would have received a percentage of that divided among them but not here see the younger son is seeking self-discovery that's what our culture would call it He's going to set out on his own. He's going to go find himself. 
He's setting out to make his own way. He's, he's going to find value in the world through his own power, his own journey, his own way. So he asks for his inheritance. Now, that's not as uncommon as preachers would have you believe. It's not as weird. He's not wishing his father dead. What is unusual, however, is the father's response. Verse 12, so he divided his property between them. Already the father is giving this younger son more than he deserves. He's giving him more than what he would normally be entitled to. He divided his property between them. In this way, the story of the sons is different from the story of the sheep and the coins. And, and the sheep wander, the coins fall, but neither of those are, are, are their own fault. This son, though, is, is making his own way. But what all these stories also share in common is not just losing and finding, it's joy. It's rejoicing. The Bible paints a picture of celebration when we're healed from our sin. I tell you that in the same way, says Jesus, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. So they began to celebrate. Joy, celebration, rejoicing. That's the picture Jesus is painting of Christians, of those who are found. But again, somehow the church has missed the party. The sheep's found, the coin's found, the son is found. The only lost son in this story is the one who the story ends still standing outside. And that's the whole focus. We've always heard that this is the story of the prodigal son because that's what the little note in our Bible always tells us. That wasn't there in the original. When Jesus told that story, that wasn't there. He was telling that story in response to the grumbling of the Pharisees who were grumbling about these people who were being invited to the table that they didn't feel deserved it. And he was telling them, you're that older son. The older son is the point, the one standing outside. See, the older son is also trying to make his way in the world. He's also trying to find his value. He's just doing it in a different style. The younger son is doing this journey of self-discovery. The older son is, is doing what's called moral perfectionism. He's going to do everything right. He's going to worship right. He's going to work right. He's going he's to interact right. He's going to do everything right. And so his sense of personal justice is very offended when his father is rewarding this one, your son, he says, who hasn't done everything right. See, in his mind, the terms of the deal are violated. He's earned the father's favor. All these years, I've slaved, his words, I've slaved for you. Now, I'm sure the slaves would disagree with that. But he's done everything the father desired, he says. But what's interesting is, he's been with him this whole time. He's been doing everything the father desired this whole time. But he still doesn't know him. He still doesn't know the heart of the father. You can tell because he doesn't get it. He doesn't see the joy. He doesn't see the merriment. He doesn't see the celebration, this, this almost childlike rejoicing that it's the core of this father. That, that the father says, verse 22, or 32, I'm sorry, but we had to celebrate. There's not a choice. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. The very nature of the father 
is compelled to celebrate. He had to. It's who he is. This son had it all. The father tells him so. He says, everything is already yours. You already had the power. You already had the love. You already had the favor. All this stuff that you're, you're saying you don't have, you already have it. It already belongs to you. But having it all, he still doesn't have his father. Do you remember the six NBA championships that, that Michael Jordan won? Some of you aren't old enough to remember Michael Jordan, kids. You can go back and Google that later. But Michael Jordan, arguably one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. And during one championship run, Jordan and the Bulls won it all just three years after the murder of Jordan's father, who'd been shot repeatedly as he sat in his car in North Carolina. After the game's final shot... The locker room is buzzing with celebration. And the herd of reporters comes in to interview everybody, as they always do. And there in the corner of the room lay Jordan. Arguably the greatest basketball player in history. Weeping, face down, overcome with emotion. Inconsolable. Bent over holding an orange basketball. And nobody knew what to do with him. What do you do? Do you talk to him? Do you leave him alone? We, we don't know what to do. Until it dawned on somebody that this win had come on Father's Day. Here was a man who had everything life could give him. Career, money, fame, prestige. Everything the world told him he wanted. But it was all worthless because he didn't have his father. The son has it all. And God says, you already had it, but you didn't recognize it. Living life without the Father is, is like having everything you've ever wanted, but not having a Father in the room to celebrate it with. This son's living a life of slavery, his own words, slavery. Instead of finding joy in service, instead of finding joy in, in worship, instead of finding joy in his work, it's slavery. It's drudgery. He's miserable. And we don't know what happens. I think that's the point. I think Jesus leaves it open on purpose. We don't know whether he comes in or not. We know the Father goes out to him. Just like the shepherd goes out looking for the sheep, the Father goes out to that lost son and says, Come inside. Why are you out here? The Bible says he pleads with him. Remember, this story is told to Pharisees and teachers of the law who are the older brothers. It's also told to older brothers like you and me. And the point is, even this morning, our Father pleads with us. Come to the table. Come celebrate. Come rejoice. The question is, do we hold on to our moral perfectionism and our sense of justice? Do we still try to earn our salvation by being good? Or do we let it go and embrace the joy of the Father? This morning, the choice is yours. Do you hold on to the way you've done things, whether it's 
seeking life through self-discovery or seeking value through moral perfectionism? Or do you come to the party? The Father is pleading, come to the party. This morning, we're in the middle of a 24-hour prayer vigil. And there are people praying right now who are praying for you right now as you're hearing this message. This morning, whatever you're feeling in your heart is the Holy Spirit convicting you. And, and let me tell you, you're being invited to the party. Now, normally I would offer an invitation and I would encourage you to be baptized. Obviously, you're not going to do that right now. But I'll tell you, if you call this church, if you call me, we will make that happen. We can do it without ten people in the room. This morning, the Father is pleading with you. Come to the party. Let's go to Him together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise you, God, because everything that you have is ours. You've been, you've been so good. You've blessed us so richly with everything that we need. Way more than we could ever ask or imagine, and way more than we deserve. Lord, help us to see the blessings Help us to see your favor. Help us to find your joy. Lord, make us people who rejoice, people who celebrate. Bless us, Father. Let us reflect your nature to a world that doesn't know how to find the party. Help us to come to the party, Lord. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I come, I confess.